You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. Anybody know what we're talking about this morning? The gospel. The gospel. And I want to write that down, not so we don't forget, but so we don't forget. The gospel. Does anybody know what the gospel is? It's good news. Don't, don't lose track of that, that, and I said this during the prayer, it's everything God ever planned, said, did, and will do through Jesus. That is the gospel. And it is good news. No, I said it is good news. Uh, one of the church fathers, I'm thinking of Augustine, he said, A believer should be a hallelujah from head to toe. I mean, I don't think we should be these sad sack, mopey, moody. Y'all with me? I mean, this is good news. We made a horrible mess, created a horrible debt. And Jesus came in and paid a debt that he did not owe. And we owed a debt we could not pay. He came in and forgave us. He took care of our past. He's helping us in the present and he will be with us in the future. And so I don't think we need to be mopey, moody, sad sack, in and out kind of people. Can I, can I get anything out of you today? Amen. The gospel, the gospel. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, famous British preacher, summed it up in four words. I've been telling you about it. What are those four words? Jesus died for me. Come on. Jesus died for me. I'm going to write out the whole sermon. No, I'm not. Jesus died for me. And that's powerful. But if we don't know the underpinnings of that, then it can just become four words. It can become something that is absolutely so true, but we don't know the power of it really. Unless we get the underpinnings of this and and are aware of things that compete against it. And that's part of the assignment and that's what we'll be looking at here this morning. Do not forget that things tend to by generation fade. When in fact the truth of the gospel should endure to all generations. And so one generation would believe and if they don't handle that properly... Then the next generation will just accept it, assume it. And then if they don't change, that third generation is going to forget it, even deny it. And so, again, the truth of the gospel endures to all generations. I want my children and my children's children and their children on should Jesus tarry. Which, by the way, we're still here. We're still here. Let me talk about that just for a moment, okay? How many of you know that we somebody said we were supposed to leave yesterday? And I'm not opposed to leaving. I'm all for it, you know? But the Bible says, Matthew 24, verse 36, and there's several other places, that concerning that day, the day that he will come, no man knows, get this, the day nor the hour. So you get a guy coming out giving you the day and the hour. Survey says, eh. <laughs> no man knows the day or the hour, 
nor the angels, who are the messengers of God, not even the Son. This is so heavenly classified that only the Father knows. And the Father... And the father's not just going to tell some radio guy out of California. Okay. Now bless his heart. He's probably having a rough day today. Okay. Probably not even going to turn on the TV. I don't even want to hear it, you know. Uh, but don't lose sight of this because sometimes, you know, when this false kind of thing happens, then we get a little more hardened and we, you know, a little more cynical or whatever. But I want to remind you, and I tell you this every time I dismiss a service, Jesus is coming. He is coming. And it's in an hour that you think not. So what are, we, what are you supposed to do? Be ready. How does, that, how does that play out? You live your life like he's going to come the next minute. You plan your life like it's going to be 100 years. Okay? You're to do business. You're to occupy until he comes. So don't just be hanging around and storing up, you know, beanie weenies and, and whatever. God will take care of his people. I've tried to tell you that God will take care of his people, but live your life. Like he's going to come this afternoon, plan your life. Like it's going to be another hundred years, but Jesus is coming. Amen. Amen. Now, where were we? Jesus died for me. And we've got to know the underpinnings of this. This will help us. Jesus died for me is the centerpiece of the gospel. But what we have to do is look underneath here. What is the foundation of this? And some of this will be a little bit of review, but I, why would I review it? Because I want you to know this. Okay. We talked last week about he died for me. That's substitutionary atonement. It should have been you should have been me. He did it for us. He went in our place in our stead. We're not there. He was there for us. So Jesus died for me. We've got to know a little bit more about Jesus. And we say, well, he's the son of God and this and this and this and this. And he's wonderful. And that is all wonderful. But we need to make sure that a number of things are in our understanding and ride along with this whole idea of the gospel. Okay. So first of all, when we talked about this and there are other, other issues that go with this, but these are the main ones. First of all, incarnation, incarnation, that God put on flesh. God was found in the person of Jesus in human form, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin here on the earth, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. The word became flesh. That is vital because if that did not happen, then it was just a man, just a man that died for us. And just a man dying for us is not going to do it. Y'all let me know you're here now and then, you know, just kind of. Okay. Second of all, sinless life, sinless life. We have types and shadows. We have figures and symbols throughout the Old Testament. The fact that everybody has sinned, which is what the gospel is about, because everybody has sinned and there's a penalty to be paid. And Jesus stepped in and paid that for us. But we have these types and shadows throughout with the sacrificial system of atonement throughout the Old Testament, where they would choose an animal that was without spot, that was without blemish. That was not flawed in any way. And that animal was then fit to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. To remit their sins. And that was just to send them away. That didn't fully take care of it. All of that is pointing to the cross. But see the fact that 
Jesus lived a sinless life. John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the spotless lamb of God. He was in all points tempted like we are, but yet he was without sin. It's important. Do not let Hollywood, do not let best-selling books or movies or anything else try to dumb down and humanize Jesus to the point that, you know, he was an adulterer and he was a cheat and he was a drunkard and he was all those things. He was not. He was the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And if he's not, then he couldn't have died for us and it made any difference. Incarnation, sinless life, uh, substitutionary death on the cross, bodily burial, literal resurrection from the dead, ascension into heaven and his imminent return, which apparently was not yesterday. All of those things put together and and, and don't get tired of this. I'm trying to teach you this. Okay. Jesus died for me. Jesus who died for me. Jesus incarnation, sinless life, sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross, bodily burial, literal resurrection, ascension into heaven, imminent return. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus died for me. You've got to have all that together. That Jesus died for me. Don't let this just be four words. Jesus died for me. Let there be substance. Let there be foundation. Let there be overarching truths of all of these things that Jesus died for me. Now, hopefully that's a little richer for you now. Say it with me. Jesus died for me. Folks, that's the good news. That's the good news. Now, the gospel is more than just a report of past events. Jesus died, past tense, for me. This is more than just reporting of some past events. This also is an expression and release of God's power that impacts us here and now. Listen, it's not just good news if it's just history. It has to have impact in our life. And I want you to know this today, whoever you are, wherever you come from, you need to know that there's impact in our lives now because of the gospel. I mentioned it earlier and I'll mention it again before we get done. It impacts our past. It impacts our present. It impacts our future. That's why it's good news. It's not just news. It's good news. And it impacts us. Uh, And we've got to not see the gospel just as some kind of historic kind of thing. Romans 1 16 uh, says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. That's rescue and wholeness for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, receiving the gospel is transactional. How many of you know what I mean by that? How many of you, how many of you know what a transaction is? Okay. I remember... Uh, my son Joshua and I kidded him after he was just a little guy and he had some allowance money and some birthday money or whatever. We were in target one day and he'd wandered off with his brother and, and I'm coming down the aisle and I see him having a transaction. He's buying something, you know, and it was, it was quite a moment. It was hard for me at first. It's like, what I buy stuff for you. No, he was doing, he was doing it on his own and he was taking his hard earned money or his hard given money, uh, and was buying something. There's a transaction that takes place and we've got to see the gospel receiving the gospel as transactional. Okay. There's a God part. There's a you part. There's a God part. There's a you part. Please get this. Receiving the gospel is more than just saying a prayer. 
Receiving the gospel is much more than just saying a prayer. There's some other things that go that go with this. Now, virtually every service, I will give an altar call. Not everybody does that anymore. I, I'm sorry, call it old school or whatever, but I just I just see that this is so important that people will say, yes, I've decided to follow Jesus. I will step out in front of all these people. He died for me. I'll walk for him. I'll live for him. I'll do this. And that's why I'll, I'll still do that. I know a lot of modern churches now, you know, if you think about it during the week, drop us a note, text us. Let us know of your decision or whatever, you know, or just fill out a card, whatever. And I don't condemn them. They've got to do what they feel led to do. But I I feel prompted to do that. Why? Because because this is an important thing. It's an important thing. You don't want to just be a secret Christian. You don't want to just be a Lone Ranger Christian. This helps to, to, I mean business with God kind of thing. But what you observe sometimes is a person comes forward then. And thank you. You're always so gracious to encourage them to applaud as they come forward. That, That gives them courage. But as they come forward, sometimes what you may observe is I lead them in a prayer. And you say, same prayer every service. Yeah, because after 30 some years of ministry, I'm not going to try to come up with a new one. I boiled it down, I boiled it down, I boiled it down. I think this is the best way that I know to lead them in a prayer. But, but I don't want to, but I don't want you to think that receiving Jesus, receiving the gospel is just uh, say a prayer. That's why I then send them off. With altar team, Pastor Scott, because we want to get some information into their hands. We want to answer some questions. We want to encourage them. Next step kind of thing. But please understand that receiving the gospel is transactional. Now, let me, let me fill that out for you a little bit. It is to believe and repent. It is to believe and repent. You believe, you take hold. And when you repent, though, you let go. So you believe and you repent. So you take hold, everybody say take hold, and you let go. See, you don't just mix Jesus in with a bunch of other stuff. He's not just an additive to your life. He now must be, and this is the truth about the gospel, he must be Savior and Lord. So Savior comes by him saving you, but Lordship involves that he's your owner He's your ruler. He's your master. And can I tell you something? That's best. I don't want to be the owner. I don't want to be the ruler. I don't want to be the master. I want him to be owner and ruler and master of my life. And so what we do is I don't hold on to the life and hold on to him and just mix him in. Jesus, join the party. Join the gang. No, he's, he's, there's one place for him. And that's the throne in the center of your heart. And he must be savior, but he almost also must be Lord, owner, ruler, master. So that's a two-part kind of thing as well. Further, he died for you. Now you live for him. Folks, the gospel calls us to life change. The gospel calls us to life change. You, you cannot just continue to live the way you live. Doing what you want, when you want, living the way of the world, doing the world stuff. Justify that however you want to. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus must now be Savior and he must be Lord. I must take hold. I must also let go. And so leads me to this. Because of the gospel, he changes your life. But guess what? You change your life. 
I know of story after story after story of people who tried to, before they came to Jesus, tried to get free of this, knew it was wrong, this or that, whatever it would be. And, and they could not break that habit. They couldn't stop doing this or whatever. They didn't have the power to do it. And they tried to change their life, tried to clean themselves up. But I'm telling you, once you give your life to him, he will change your life. But follow this now. But now you also must change your life. And guess what? Now you've got help to do it. My stepfather, he was here first service. Um, when he and my mom married, uh, I think I was in fifth grade, something like that. And when she married him, he was a, a large, muscular, angry, alcoholic. And I'm thinking, way to go, mom. As if we weren't already messed up. Woohoo. Everything about him was intimidating. And then anger and alcohol and chain smoker and everything else. And my mom had asthma. And I'm not going to tell you all my family stuff. And our dog had fleas, you know. It's a... <laughs> but because of his smoking and her asthma, that didn't work good. And all the other issues. And he tried and he tried and he tried and he tried and he tried. And he'd get Nicoban and Nicoderm and eat 90 packs of juicy fruit gum every day, you know, just trying to break this habit, this addiction. All he did was switch addictions. I'm addicted to lifesavers now, you know, it just, it just, just would go around. And I mean, just constant trying to get out of it. But then when, when he got born again, I was in sixth grade. I remember when he got born again, when he took hold and he let go. And when Jesus became savior and changed his life, he said, I too will change my life. Now he had help to do it. And I'm telling you, it was no time at all. Plus he had a horrible foul mouth. I mean, I learned bad words. I didn't know were bad words. And I go to school and say them. But I'm talking about Jesus changed his life. He decided to change his life. And now he had help. And I'm telling you, he got free. Boom, 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 boom. Because now he had help to do it. It's a transaction. But you got to play along. Jesus did the heavy lifting, but you got to say, put me in. And he'll change your life, but you change your life too. And he will be there to help you in doing that. Amen. All right. I got to hustle a little bit here, but y'all don't worry about that. Y'all just stay with me. The purpose, I, I think my assignment for this whole series on the gospel, and we've got a couple more weeks on this, is to bring clarity to the gospel and also to bring emphasis to the gospel for a lot of reasons that I've already stated you know, over the weeks of this. But sometimes when you're going to clarify something, you have to not only clarify what something is, you also have to clarify what something is not. So there are things concerning the gospel. Paul dealt with it. I mean, it's the, the target of most of the epistles that Paul wrote. He was having to deal with variations on the gospel. Now, let's read this verse and then we'll kind of make some sense of this. Genesis, excuse me, Galatians chapter one, verse eight and nine. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, everybody say that any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, now so I say again, if anyone preaches, help me, any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, the gospel that I have presented to you is the gospel that Paul presented to you. And this is based on everything I've shared with you is based on Pauline writings upon upon the scripture here so that we know soundly what the gospel is. Paul said this, if if anybody presents to you any other gospel than what we preach to you, and he says, I don't care who they are. What their name is, what their reputation is, whatever. Paul was dealing with Judaizers, which were Christian Jews that believed in Jesus, but they were more stuck on fulfilling the law of Moses that they would discount and minimize the cross and therefore minimize and discount the resurrection. And if we don't have the cross and if we don't have the resurrection, then our faith is empty and you're still in your sins. And Paul said, I don't care who they are. I don't care how long they've been around. I don't even care if they're an angel. I don't care if they've got a glow in the dark business card. If they present to you any other gospel than this gospel, let them be accursed. And that's strong language. So let's look at this because there, there are distortions of the gospel and there are reductions of the gospel that I want to unmask for you just real quick this morning. There are blatant distortions and reductions of the gospel. And I think those things are obvious. The ones that I want to warn you about and unmask this morning are the subtle ones that would kind of come in. Because let me tell you, if we change the gospel, the gospel cannot change us. I want to say it again. If we change the gospel, the gospel cannot change us because then it doesn't have the power to do it. You take something out of the gospel, it's not, it's not going to be the same. So I want to look real quick at a couple of subtle distortions, things that have been twisted, changed a little bit, some reductions, some things that have been minimized and so forth uh, concerning the gospel so that we can see these subtle, these subtle things here. I'm going to just give these to you just real quick this morning. The first one would be a gospel that I would call the incomplete gospel. It's incomplete. Do you ever get a paper back in school and the teacher wrote? Come on, don't make me feel dumb. Come on, have me, have me. Okay. What does that mean? You didn't finish. You left something out. Ladies, you ever been cooking something, making something, and I don't have all the ingredients? You'll either send somebody to the store, or you tell the kids, go borrow it from the neighbor. And they say, we don't know the neighbor. Go meet them. (laughs) Or the neighbor's a mile down the road. Good. Get on your bike. We need this. Guys, how many of you have ever been putting something together? I love those boxes. It says, some assembly required. How many of you ever been putting something together Christmas Eve? That's always a grand time. And you're missing a part. Okay. Incomplete. Let me tell you, whatever it would be, if something is missing, if it's incomplete, it's not going to be the same. It's just not going to be the same. It's like meatloaf without meat. This is a tricycle with two wheels. You know, this is not going to work. This is not going to be the same. And so we cannot leave things out of the gospel. For example, I would do wrong if I only told you that to receive the gospel, just say a prayer. That's incomplete. If I told you, just believe, that's incomplete. You got to repent too. Jesus will be your savior. Awesome. But he also needs to be Lord. See, it can't be incomplete. There was a time, uh, 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 teacher, disciple, his name was Apollos. 
in the book of Acts. And he was a great teacher, a bold teacher, an accurate teacher, but he only knew of John's baptism. He went into the synagogue. He was speaking boldly and Aquila and Priscilla. Now that's Mr. and Mrs. Last night, just in the rush of it, I said it was two ladies. Part of that is I would never name a son of mine Aquila or Priscilla for that, for that, for that matter. But they pulled him aside. Book of Acts tells us they pulled him aside and filled him in a little bit more so that he, the parts he was missing, he would be able to understand the gospel more accurately. And so it's important that we get the whole gospel here and not have an incomplete gospel. The second subtle variation is a cultural gospel, cultural gospel. That is a moving target. Postmodernism. Liberal theology, politically correct. I mean, that's a moving target of how people think and how our values shift. But here's something that never changes. And that are the needs that are in the heart of every human being. Every human being. Hear me. Every human being. Oprah to Lady Gaga. Every, I don't care who they are. I don't care with the president of this or that or, or who knows them or who they know. What they think and how they think and what they value. I don't care. And what they say they even believe. I don't care. Every human being is built in. They have these needs on the inside of them. Every one of them that do not change. But yet the gospel addresses these needs. I'm going to give them to you real quick. And we've talked about these over and over. Number one is intimacy with God. Now, let me, first of all, qualify intimacy. Hollywood and the media has ruined the word intimacy for us. Intimacy means safe. It means close. It means warm. Everybody needs to have a safe, close, warm relationship with God. People are looking for that. They're trying to fill it with this and fill it with that and fill it with this and fill it with them. He's, they're, they're trying to do that. But I'm telling you, I can only be filled with God. One person has said it's this, it's a God-shaped void. And I don't care what you try to put in that God-shaped void. Nothing will fit it right. Nothing fills it right except God. Every person, every person has this need for intimacy, intimacy with God. Secondly, we have a need for intimacy with others. Intimacy with others. And again, what does that mean? Safe, close, warm. That we're able to have that with other people in our life. And the third thing is this self-worth, self-worth. It's one of the great needs in the world today because people are doing so many things out of their insecurity, out of their lack of worth. All behavior is need motivated. People are doing bizarre stuff because of the needs that are on the inside of them. Everybody needs intimacy with God, intimacy with others and healthy self-worth. And all of those things are addressed by the gospel. Do not buy into a cultural gospel that is a moving target, constantly changes just to try to fit the culture. Thirdly is a cool gospel. A cool gospel. We try to make Jesus so appealing and so relevant. We market and we package him. And I'm telling you what, that's just ill-advised. That's misguided because you know what? Jesus doesn't need to be like us. You hear me? Jesus doesn't need to be like us. We need to be like Jesus. We do not want to water down a holy savior. An incredible Lord to just be hip and now. I need him to be awesome and eternal. I need him to be wise beyond what our culture is. 
I need him to be awesome beyond what our cool is. And we don't just need a cool gospel. And I'm telling you what, people need a real encounter with truth. A lot of churches go in a lot of different directions with, with things. And let me just say this. We're very seeker aware. We're not seeker driven, but we're seeker aware. And what I want is when anybody comes in here, because you know what? If I were to survey who's here today, you're from all different backgrounds, all different levels of what your relationship with God is or not culturally, generationally, traditionally, all kinds of things. And so I think we've got to be aware of people that are seeking God. Paul was, Jesus was, I think we certainly should be. But when you come in, we're not going to so dumb it down and water it down that we'll just take songs from your culture and stuff from your culture. Listen, your culture's messed you up enough. What we need is an encounter with the truth of God and an encounter with God's presence. And that's what has to happen when we come together. We cannot have just a cool gospel. Although I think we're pretty cool. All right. Fourthly, a selfish gospel a selfish gospel you know you know who's the most selfish of all babies but it's cute then aren't you glad that god made babies cute aren't you glad god made puppies cute could you imagine but see when we're selfish that's when we're the most immature And you do not want a gospel. And this gospel is out there loud and clear. And it has to do with this. What can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus do for me? Make me healthy. Make me wealthy. Give me no problems. Everybody like me. I'm always happy. Everything goes my way. I'm never hurting. I win. I won jeopardy and I win the lottery. You know, and, and this is the dangerous thing. Do not promise things that Jesus did not promise. Do not promise things that Jesus did not promise. That's why I'm going to be as straight and straight up and clear with you about what the gospel is. But I want to always remind you, it's good news. It's good news. But listen, if you promise things that Jesus did not promise. Now, he promised he did not promise no problems. But he did promise I'll be with you in your problems. He did not promise this or this or this or this. But he said you know what, but I'll do this and I'll provide for you and I'll protect you and I'll give you favor and I'll work that out and I'll deliver you all of those things. But let's get the, let's not get the cart before the horse here. It's not about what can he do for me, a selfish gospel, because if you promise things that Jesus did not promise, you're in trouble and they're in for a shock later on. And the last one is this, a slack gospel, a slack gospel. Has no intensity, has no urgency to it. But I'm here, listen to me, listen to me. But I'm here to tell you there's an urgency and an intensity about the gospel. Now is the time. Today is the day. Hebrews 3 tells us, and when you hear his voice, it said, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And listen, that's for us that have already believed and received and we're walking in this. Whenever you think you hear God's voice, you slow down and clear everything out and turn things down and off so that you can get clear on what God is trying to tell you. Because if you don't, if you ignore his voice, you will harden your heart. You know, let me go back to the whole puppy idea. You know, you, you get a little puppy and he squeaks and, and makes little noises. Guess what? You'll go run and check on him, you know. And then after a while, you just say, shut the door. Put him outside. And I'm not talking about Alicia's dog. 
at all. You know, after a while, you just kind of harden your heart that what you were very sensitive to early on, you can just kind of harden your heart to, to the whole thing. And listen to me. Every time you delay receiving the gospel, obeying the gospel, every time you reject the gospel, you harden your heart a little bit more. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. There are subtle any other gospels that are out there. And I'm just wanting to unmask those real quick. Now, before I finish, let me just take you to this. You and I are going to be marked by one or more of these three things forever. And I want you to just zero in with me as I finish here. The first thing that could mark us forever. And I'm just going to talk straight to you. Is what you have done. What you have done can mark you forever. How many of you have ever made decisions or done something before that has damaged you? Come on, let's all, let's just all, there's not a house of condemnation here. We've all done things, decided things that have damaged us, even defiled us. And you know what? That could mark you forever. Second thing that could mark you forever is what's been done to you. What's been done to you. There's not a person in this room that has escaped somebody doing something to them, cutting in front of them in line, pushing them down, hurting them in unspeakable ways. The statistics, current statistics on how our children are abused and and taken advantage of and so forth is just sickening. And some of you have had people abandon you and some some of you, what was done to you was that they didn't come home. And others of you are what was done to you was. They came home. And so what you have done marks you forever. What was done to you can mark you forever. But the third thing is what Jesus has done for you. Can mark you forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. I've said this three times now and I just want to word it in this way. The gospel addresses what was what you did, what I did. The gospel addresses what was done to you and what was done to me. The gospel addresses those things and it speaks to our past and our present and our future. Listen to me. This is part of the gospel. Your past is redeemed. Your present makes sense. Your future is secure because Jesus died for you. Don't change the gospel or it can't change you, but believe it, receive it. Let Jesus be savior. Let him be Lord. And don't forget that's not hard doings. That's good news. I'm going to stop right there. Did you get anything at all out of this today?